Well, today is the first Sunday of Lent. <laughs> I did that at 9 o'clock, too. The first Sunday of Lent. And I'm wondering, when you hear Lent, what do you think about it? When Lent rolls around and you think to yourself, oh, if you do, oh, it's the first Sunday of Lent. Some of you thought that, right? <laughs> if you think anything at all, what do you think about when you hear the word Lent? Purple. Sacrifice. Sacrifice? Purple. Purple, yes. Purple is the color of Lent. We see that reflected. Well I listen to Jesus Christ Superstar. You listen to Jesus Christ Superstar, okay. So you think about that musical and the... what else? Going Desert. deeper. Going deeper? Somebody else said Desert. Desert. Jesus' time in the desert or the wilderness. Not eating meat on Fridays. Not eating meat on Fridays. We see the Catholic influence, right? <laughs> or giving something up in general. That's a practice that sometimes people take on. How about the sort of negative, um, the baggage of Lent? Do any of you carry around baggage when you think about Lent? Giving up chocolate. Giving up chocolate. Oh, I have to give up something I really like. Okay. A childhood religious practice inflicted on me. Did you catch that? Inflicted on me by my parents. Feeling bad. Feeling bad about what? Repentance. Anything. Anything. Everything. Feeling bad about yourself, maybe even. So, I want to try to reframe that a little bit today. Here's what poet Anne Weems says about Lent. Listen to her words. She says, Lent is a time to take the time to let the power of our faith story take hold of us. Let me say that again. Lent is a time to take the time to let the power of our faith story take hold of us. A time to let the events get up and walk around in us. A time to intensify our living unto Christ. Somebody said going deeper. A time to intensify our living unto Christ. A time to hover over the thoughts of our hearts. So often the thoughts of our hearts are just fleeting, right? But in Lent, we take the time to hover over the thoughts of our hearts. A time to place our feet in the streets of Jerusalem, or to walk along the sea and listen to his words. A time to touch his robe and feel the healing surge through us. A time to ponder and a time to wonder. Lent is a time to allow a fresh new taste of God. Almost sounds like an opportunity, doesn't it? I want to suggest today that Lent is an opportunity. Not a dreaded obligation or a burden or a religious practice inflicted on us <laughs> by, unwillingly by our parents or anyone else, but an opportunity. An opportunity to go deeper, an opportunity to grow. On Wednesday, 35 of us gathered here in this space for an Ash Wednesday service. We spent some time in prayer and reflection in three different stations that people had an opportunity to visit. We placed some rocks in these three glass towers um, on which we've written some of the baggage that we want to leave behind so that we might enter into the late Lenten journey unencumbered. <laughs> We left with ashes on our forehead.
Some of you were here for that and left with ashes on your forehead. Did anybody see someone walking on the streets or at your workplace wearing ashes on Wednesday? Anybody? Nobody? Oh, you did. Okay. And did you stop and say, you have something on your forehead? <laughs> and then remember, oh, Ash Wednesday. Ashes on our forehead in the shape of a cross, reminding us of our mortality. You know, most of us in this room are going to die someday. Most of us. All of us in this room are going to die someday. Some of us sooner than others, and we don't know who that might be. We are mortal. We are created from the dust of the earth, God's beloved dust that's been here since the beginning of time and that will be here till the end. And one day, our bodies will return to that dust, right? That's just sort of how it all goes. Lent is a season when we talk about things that we don't talk about normally in everyday conversation. Right? We don't talk about temptation. We don't talk about death that much, our own mortality in ordinary conversation. But in Lent, we pause and talk about things that are deeper, more profound, that we don't talk about ordinarily. So what if, instead of dreading Lent because we think of it as a time to beat ourselves up, to feel bad about ourselves, to feel guilt and shame, instead we embraced this season for the opportunities that it holds. Opportunities for growth, opportunities for deepening our faith, opportunities really for taking stock of what is really important in life. Melissa said she thinks of the desert because the scripture passage we hear pretty much every year on the first Sunday of Lent is the story of Jesus going into the wilderness or into the desert. This is a story we find in three of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke each have an account of this with varying details. Mark just says Jesus went to the wilderness for 40 days and doesn't tell us anything about what happened. Matthew gives us a lot more detail. So we're going to hear that account today. Um, sort of a little 40-day retreat that Jesus takes at the beginning of his ministry. So we're going to share that um, story together both in scripture and in song, kind of weaving together scripture and song, um, the words from Matthew's gospel, and then a song that puts those words to music. So I want to invite someone to get us started and read these words, and then we'll sing, and then we'll read, and then we'll sing. Jesus tempted in the desert, long 
tells him, turn these barren rocks to bread. Not alone by bread he answers, can the human heart be filled? Only by the word that calls us is our Oh uh-huh. 
story, do you remember who it was who drove Jesus into the wilderness? Who was it? God, the Holy Spirit. It wasn't the devil who drove us into, drove Jesus into the wilderness. It was God. Now hold that thought just for a second, one second. I want to just offer this caveat to start with. For some of you, when you hear devil in that story or in any other context, you may picture literally, you know, the horn, the red horns and the spiked tail and the whole bit. Others of you may hear that more as a sort of symbolic representation, the personification of evil. I'm not going to settle that debate today. <laughs> so interpret that in whatever way is meaningful for you. We all know about temptation, right? That's, that's whether or not the devil is a being or, or the personification of evil, we know about temptation. So it was, a, it was a spirit who drove Jesus into the wilderness. <coughs> Why do you think Jesus needed 40 days in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry? Think about that for a second. Because this was the very beginning. The context of this story is that this, we read this passage right after the story of Jesus' baptism. So we know that Jesus was born, right? We celebrate that story at Christmas time. Then we don't hear anything about Jesus until he's about 12 years old. There's one kind of little story about Jesus going to the temple with his parents. And do you remember what happens? They start to leave with the crowd of people. And then they get a couple of days into the journey. And Mary says to Joseph, where's Jesus? And Joseph says to Mary, I thought you knew where Jesus was. And they had one of those parent arguments. And then they went back and found Jesus in the temple. But then we fast forward to the year 30. Jesus is now 30 years old. He's beginning his public ministry, and that begins with his baptism in the Jordan River. You might remember that story of the, um, John the Baptist baptizing Jesus and a dove descending and, and a voice saying, this is my son, the Beloved with whom I am well pleased. And that was the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. We might think that Jesus would just be off and running from that point, you know, healing and teaching and doing all the calling disciples, doing all the things that Jesus did. But no, first, the Spirit drives him into the wilderness for 40 days. Why? Why do you think the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days before anything else happened? Any ideas? Preparation. Center. Center. To be, who said that? To be centered. A time to be centered or grounded. Face temptation. To face the temptation as well. Yeah. Sometimes I think we would be better off if before we started something major in our lives, we took some time away to be centered, to connect deeply with God. Not just a little sort of nod to God, but a real deep centering in God before we were off and running doing something big. Do you think? you think I'm right? I think so. So it was during that 40-day period, by the way, 40 is an important number in Scripture. <coughs> Can you think of examples of where there's 40 of something in Scripture? Moses, Noah, Moses, Noah you know, the the Israelites in the wilderness, the way the promised land for 40 years, and the rain for 40 days. 40 in the Bible basically means a long time. So Jesus is in the wilderness for a long time. And it's during that time that he faced temptation. Three temptations, right? The first one, turn these stones to bread. We're not going to spend a lot of time with these temptations, but really briefly. 
Why was that a temptation? Because Jesus was hungry. hungry. Hello, wouldn't you be? It's a long time to be without food. Turn these stones to bread. And Jesus says, no, people do not live on bread alone, but by the word of God. He turned to God for strength in that, in that time. The second one, throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. This was a, a, a temptation to test God, right? And none of us ever do that, right? We never test God. Oh God, if only you'll insert whatever here, then I will insert whatever. <laughs> we never do that, right? This, Jesus says, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So it's a temptation to test God to see if God would come through for him. And then the third temptation was a temptation to achieve wealth and power and fame and glory, right? You know, the devil says, all this could be yours. Almost sounds like the price is right, doesn't it? <laughs> all this could be yours if the price is right. And the price was, fall on your knees and worship me. And Jesus says, no, only God is worthy of our worship. So what I think is important about this is, first of all, to acknowledge that temptation is a reality in life. And we don't talk about it much because we know that the concept, the word temptation has power in our lives. We all face temptation from time to time. Um, but what I think is important is that it seems to me there's one thing that all temptation has in common, and that is that temptation is about putting self at the center. Think about those temptations that Jesus faced. Think about temptations that you sometimes face in your own life. It's always about putting self at the center. And anytime you put yourself at the center, then what happens? God gets displaced from the center where God needs to be for us to have a balanced, centered life. If you're, if you're tempted to do something nice or kind or generous for someone else, do you call that a temptation? That's not a temptation. That's inspiration or something. Temptation is to do something that puts self at the center. Now, I don't want to say that self is bad. Don't hear me say that. We are created in the image of God. Self is good. Jesus said you should love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So this isn't about beating up on self, but it's also about being aware of our relationship with God and God desiring to be at the center in our lives. I learned a new acronym this week. The acronym is HALT, H-A-L-T. And those three, four letters stand for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. H-A-L-T, halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Now think about that for a minute. This acronym comes from the recovery community. And one thing that those in recovery from addiction know is that when they are hungry, or when they are angry, or when they are lonely, or when they are tired, what happens? Temptation. Temptation. Vulnerable to relapse, right? To use the language of recovery. Vulnerable to relapse when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And if you're all four of those, the danger is greater, right? But I don't think this is just about recovery from addiction. I think this is about humanity. All of us need to halt when we are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, or some combination thereof, right? Because we are vulnerable to 
who knows what in those situations. So for me, this is in part an invitation to self-care, actually. Not to self-beating oneself up, but to caring deeply for self. If you're hungry, what ought you to do? Eat. Eat. Unless you're fasting, and there is a legitimate spiritual practice of fasting that is withholding um, food or something else for a period of time to create space, to create hunger that then you direct to God. But that's an intentional thing. That's not just you know, sort of a, um, an unintentional thing. That's an intentional practice. But if you're hungry, you ought to eat. If you're angry, you ought to go for a walk, work out, you know, try to resolve that anger or whatever. What did you say, Katrina? Uh, resolve. Resolve, communicate, pray. Actually, prayer works in all four of these, I think. Um, lonely, what should you probably do? Find some community, right? Especially if it's an isolating kind of loneliness, not an intentional solitude thing. And tired, if you're exhausted, get some rest, right? So I have a feeling Jesus probably faced all four of those, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, during his time in the wilderness. And we too experience those at times in our journey. And when that happens, we need to pay attention to those things. Here's another word. Besides temptation, here's another word we don't like very often. And that is the word change. The word kind of makes us squirm a little bit sometimes, doesn't it? I was in a meeting this week with some pastor colleagues from other churches in the area. And we were talking about the concept of change. Now, what we were talking about was how churches often struggle with change. Now, I know that's probably shocking to you. <laughs> and in some ways, it's a bit removed because this church has just changed so much. It's always changing. It never stays the same. That Maybe there's a, a comfort with things being a little different. But in some churches, change is a very difficult concept. One of my uh, colleagues actually said, I like to talk about growth. He said, change is a word I never use. <laughs> and I thought, oh my goodness, our, our, our worship series is about change. <laughs> Sometimes that concept is fearful for us. But one thing I know is that, first of all, change is inevitable. Right? Who was it that said the only thing that's constant is change? <clears throat> Like, literally, the only thing that never changes is change itself. Things are always changing. So change is inevitable. Um, and sometimes it's difficult. But I, I really believe that following Jesus is not about status quo. It's not about, as much as we like the familiar, the predictable, the comfortable, following Jesus is about transformation. That is change, right? Both the internal change within us if we're staying the same all the time, that means we're not growing deeper. And if society stays the, change, uh, stays the same all the time, that means we're not putting our faith into action. Because following Jesus is about transformation, internal and external. So it seems to me that real change always begins with self-reflection. So that brings us back to the wilderness. Real change always begins with self-reflection, or you might say introspection, that is looking inward. 
There's both the internal change, the change I want to make within myself or the change that I sense that God wants to make in me, and also the external change, the change in an organization or change in society, but it always begins with self-reflection. I want to suggest that Lent offers an opportunity because it invites us to introspection, it invites us to self-discovery. There's a, um, a Lutheran pastor whose blog I enjoy reading. Do you know what a blog is? It's like an online journal kind of thing. People post reflections. Um, this pastor's name is Nadia Boltz Weber. And I think you would like her because she is covered in tattoos. <laughs> She's totally covered in tattoos. She's a former addict. For many years of her life, she was just her life was totally consumed by drugs and alcohol. So she, and then 19 years ago, she had a radical change in her life. Part of it was the beginning of her faith journey, actually. She didn't grow up as a person of faith or in a family of faith, but ex encountered that sort of in the midst of crisis. So when she talks about transformation, this is something that she knows about in a deep and profound way personally. So Nadia Boltzweber has started a Lutheran church in Denver, Colorado called The House for All Sinners and Saints. Isn't that a great name for a church? The House for All Sinners and Saints. And I want to read to you what she wrote in her blog this week about Lent. She says, Lent is about looking at our lives in as bright a light as possible. Think about that for a minute. Lent is about looking at our lives in as bright a light as possible, the light of Christ, to illumine that which moth and rust can consume and which thieves can steal. Now here she's quoting scripture. Jesus talked about the things that moth, moth and rust can consume and thieves can steal. Those are the superficial things in our life that we spend so much time focusing on that distract us from the deeper things of life. She says, it's during this time of self-reflection and sacrificial giving and prayer that we make our way through the overgrown and tangled mess of our lives. Do you ever feel like your life is overgrown and tangled? I do sometimes. Do you ever feel that way? We trudge through the lies of our death-denying culture, the lies of our death-denying culture, to seek the simple, weighty truth of who we really are. This is not a season of taking up self-denial, she says. It is a season of relinquishment. Think for a minute of the difference between self-denial and relinquishment. Self-denial is about withholding something from yourself, which can be a good thing to do at times. That can be a spiritual practice. But sometimes we think of that in a negative sense. Relinquishment is about letting go, isn't it? Relinquishment is about freedom. Relinquishment. We let go of all the pretenses and destructive independence from God. Independence from God. What we ought to be cultivating, right, is a deep dependence on God. We let go of our indulgent self-loathing, freedom, relinquishment, letting go of our indulgent self-loathing. Like the prodigal son, we then begin to see a loving God running with abandon to welcome us home. 
But we can't begin to see this God until we turn from our arrogance and certainty and cynicism and ambivalence. The psalmist says that God delights in the truth that is deep in us. The truth. God doesn't delight in the purity of our doctrine or the perfection of our piety. That's good news, isn't it? God doesn't delight in the purity of our doctrine, having all of our beliefs exactly right, or in the perfection of our piety. God delights in the truth and wisdom underneath all the overgrowth of despair and false pride. Therefore, she says, there's no shame in the truth of who we are, the broken and blessed beloved of God. There's no shame in the truth that our lives on earth will all end and that we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. She says, that's not depressing. What's depressing is the desperation of trying to pretend otherwise. What's depressing is to insist that I can free myself, but I just haven't managed to pull it off yet. What is so wonderful about Lent is that through being marked with the cross and reminded of our mortality, we are free. So I want to encourage us as we begin this season of Lent, to set aside notions of obligation or dread or of a religious practice inflicted upon us and instead embrace Lent for the incredible rich opportunities that it brings. The opportunity to spend some time in self-reflection, self-discovery, and you know what? If we do that, when Holy Week rolls around, and it will, before we know it, when Easter arrives, our encounter with that powerful story will be so much richer for having done that work. So, let's listen for the song of a God who creates clean hearts and renews our spirits. Amen. Amen. Um, to this table as a community together as we